Hello everybody, this is Dan Woods of Early Adopter Research. I'm here today at the GraphConnect show in New York City. It's September 20th, and I'm sitting here with Jeff Morris, uh, the VP of Product Marketing at Neo4j. Did okay. I get your title right? Sure. Okay. Um, uh, I just finished listening to the keynote by Emil Ephraim, and there were some really interesting things in the keynote. Uh, Great talk by Hillary Mason, a lot of good examples, uh, and Philip explained about the, the platform, where, where it's going. But one of the things that Emil mentioned was that people are now starting to adopt um, Neo4j uh, as a platform, not just for a single project. Right. And you know, over the summer in the graph tour, you know, I gave a talk on how to find the $100 million graph query. And you know, in doing that, I examined how can you systematically you know, adopt graph technology. And part of that analysis was the fact that, you know, the early stages are really about projects. Yes. Then it's about building a center of excellence so that you can expand that. And I know I, I identified two key capabilities. One was understanding and expanding the knowledge of how to use graph queries, algorithms and analytics, and the other was about how to expand and, and ro build robust skills in, in ETL. But then the next stage is actually putting it in production. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, and that is how can we explain to people out there what it means to be you know, enterprise ready for a graph technology? Mm -hmm. Because um, you know, there's so many entrants. The, the, the field in graph is so exciting now. There's lots of open source projects. There's lots of commercial projects. There's lots of hybrid type things going on. Oh yeah, like the last year, it's uh, you know, the, I think the number of entrant, you know, just a vendor or technology entrants into the space has grown like 50 percent. You know, it was, it was we were tracking 20 other you know, kinds of projects, and now it's uh, well into the 30s. It's pretty incredible. Right, and, and the big players like Amazon has arrived with Neptune, and mm -hmm. and, and and I'm sure that you know uh, Oracle is going to make a uh, uh, an entry uh, because they just can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what I wanted to do is, if somebody is is now saying, look, you know what, I think I've seen enough. We've done a couple successful projects. It's time to, you know, uh, pick a platform to work with. And, and we want to avoid as many problems as possible. And that's what I mean by enterprise readiness. It's like the enterprise ready pro uh, platform is the one where you bring it in and it's been anticipated by the vendor all the things that you need. And so what I wanted to, to do today is just go through a checklist of what does it mean to be enterprise ready in the mm -hmm. graph database world. Sure. And, and how can somebody, you know, when they're de deciding you know, which platform to use, um, uh, have a checklist of all the things that should be there, that the vendor should be taken care of. Right, and, and I think the way we, we should look at that or cast it is many of the elements start with you know, the core database and things that you would expect a, an enterprise capable or an enterprise ready database to have. Right? And then building out around that are the other platform elements that either uh, cooperate and coordinate with that database or help the larger community inside an enterprise, the users themselves or the, the different roles in an enterprise, some are very technical, some are very analytical, some are just, they need to know what's going on. They need the um, communication capabilities of what you could do with a graph. So when we defined the, the graph platform about a year ago, we were looking at it from exactly that standpoint of let's make sure that we're covering the bases with the, the core database, the traditional Neo4j technology that uh, has been in the market 
market for uh, for over a decade now, uh, and then build out and around that as to you know how to enhance it so that we're supporting all of the right types of users. So we're talking about supporting the uh, the, the 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 data hub people and the data integration people. We're talking about supporting the analytic people, right? The, and data science community. Well, good. Well, let's go through those. Like yeah. first of all, I guess it's enterprise class product. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are the dimensions of the enterprise class product? Yeah, there's uh, the, the, your enterprise class product is, is, even if you look at all the lessons we've learned for the last you know, 20 years, 30 years, is you need you know, core scaling capabilities. And that oftentimes means the database system needs to scale, um, say, say horizontally, of you know, scale across different uh, uh, server instances. But it, then it also needs to be very, very high performance. And it needs to support uh, enterprise-capable security uh, functions. So uh, whether it integrates with an LDAP system, a directory system, or an active directory system, or has its own built-in user and role-based you know, uh, uh, management capabilities with specific rights that you want to end up offering to different types of users, all of those sort of capabilities begin to start to flush out what this enterprise-ready, capable uh, uh, database happens to have. Then you need to solve the problems about getting data into the database. So there's uh, ETL and data integration functions. So we've got a variety of, of uh, offerings there now. Uh, and we started to think about what are we going to do in the world of uh, really big data or you know, other, other uh, big data technologies, how we work with those. So uh, we can talk a little bit about Cypher for Apache Spark. Um, we can talk about other, you know, even these are newer that I don't think we even put on our original checklist was then you, you want to make sure that you have uh, interoperability functions between and among complementary or sometimes even competitive solutions. So uh, we also uh, released uh, this past summer um, Cypher for Gremlin so that there's uh, now a way in which uh, users of Neptune or users of uh, some of the other uh, uh, you know, very popular graph-based technologies uh, that are built into Cosmos DB, that are built into uh, Datastax Enterprise, et cetera, all of those other technologies, uh, we can now share information and share capabilities uh, with the Gremlin community and, and help teach them sort of the, the ease of use benefits of, uh, uh, of the Cypher side of the world. And of course, Neo4j has been the reference implementation for even Gremlin for, uh, for, for years now. So uh, yeah, it's, it's making sure that all you know, the, there's interoper interoperability plays, there's getting data in and out and, and using the data appropriately. That's when we end up, you know, jumping back to some of the use cases we'll talk about of how do you get real, really enterprise ready. So you might have, your first project might have been a recommendation engine, but then when you looked at uh, and, and your data hub people looked at all of, you know, what their responsibilities were, they've got to integrate a ton of systems. I see. So you so, get into like that metadata graph. It's so it right. It's so just cascading so, that way. And so, what is the the uh, kind of standard expectation for being able to deal with the cloud in a modern database? Um, I think you want to be able to both, so the, the expectation now is at a minimum you need to be able to uh, uh, interoperate between uh, a, a traditional on-premise kind of uh, system as well as, a, uh, as well as a cloud environment. And for quite a while now Neo4j has been supporting a, a bring your own license style of, uh, of cloud deployment, but we actually have um, 
de you know, basically deployment-ready packages in Google Cloud Platform, in uh, uh, AWS, as well as uh, Azure. So you know, cover all of the cloud bases with your ability to, you know, to, to run within the cloud, uh, support the, you know, if, if the organization has you know, these on-prem uh, requirements, support that as well, and then show them the path to where you're going to end up getting to towards a larger database as a service kind of deployment where the customer uh, doesn't necessarily need to even develop any sort of Neo4j admin type skills or, or uh, uh, operational type skills as, as we might take care of something like that. Good. So essentially what you're saying is that you have to have a really high quality database and something that you know handles cloud on-premise, has good security, good integration, good management tools, you know, and um, uh, is able to handle all of the things that people would expect any modern any database. database to do. Yes. Right. And, and the challenge for us is we're doing it in the graph world. So everything that we're designing towards has to maintain that core essence of, uh, I'll call it uh, you know, native connectedness. Right, so, so you know, the, the that premise, original premise of Neo4j was, it's going to be a native database that, you know, understands what a relationship is, understands how uh, different data elements nodes are going to be interrelated with each other, and then make sure that you can supply enough detail or, or create enough context out of those relationship nodes, you know, connected to by relationships to other nodes using property sheets and property lists and make that very, very highly configurable. Um, if you need it to behave like a schema, you can, and that's another enterprise requirement is, does it adhere to schema-like principles or not, uh, and, and, uh, and, and support that. And then we get into... Uh, so, but one of the things I wanted to hit a little bit more deeply is the idea of how do you uh, scale this stuff? Because I mm -hmm. think that um, you know, you don't want to be a victim of success where you cr do a project and all of a sudden you have to, you know, really make it scale. Uh, you, you guys have got a lot of engineering aspects working on uh, uh, making things scale. You know, could you explain, you know, you know what, it, what, it what is required to actually make a graph database scale? I mean, because it, it's not the same as... It's not the same. It's as not the same as just like distributing it over 20 servers. Exactly. So you have, if you were building a document database, you have actually have the leisure of every document being a discrete, a discrete element that you could replicate or you could, you know, uh, uh, pass around, you know, across a, a, a network of, of server nodes. Graphs are totally different, right? The, the the challenge with graphs is exactly that maintaining the integrity of a, of a data relationship and how one uh, data element's related to the other while scaling the graph. So if you are constantly thinking of this gra your graph as a mesh where every relationship is just as important as every row in a you know in, in a SQL table. Uh, then you start to, to recognize what the, the scaling challenge is going to be. So it's hard to break a graph, or, or you, you don't want to break a graph is, uh, I guess, my, my main point there. So scaling up is significantly, and from, a tech, from a technologic challenge, um, scaling vertically and just getting a bigger machine, getting more memory, uh, supporting caching in that machine is actually a much easier exercise for, uh, for graph type systems. And so that was the original area of scaling focus we right. took on, right? So see, and, and then that's, that explains some of your relationships with like IBM Power exactly. 8, who, who basically said, look, if you've got a big graph and you need a big machine, we'll provide it to you yes. and, and we'll help you scale it up. Absolutely. But that's not obviously the end of the solution. No, and, and, and because 
market expectation primarily, right, doesn't want that, let's you know, grab a bigger piece of hardware. What they really want are these smaller distributed machines all over the place, and you know, your cloud network is, you know, works exactly that same way. So the market expectation is this horizontally scale across lots of different systems. The challenge for the graph, for any graph, is scale it like that, but don't break the relation, don't lose relationships, don't break the graph. So most recently, over the summertime, we came out uh, with a feature called multi-clustering. And multi-clustering allows us to, uh, to establish what our, uh, let's say, domain level nodes are going to be across a graph, and then partition a graph accordingly. This works really, really well for uh, multinational organizations that have to adhere to data privacy rules, for example. You can locate now uh, a, gra a graph that's based in Germany for all the German customers. And you just, you, you route everything towards that. Uh, so you geopin information. Yes, you geopin the information and the multi-graph routing mechanism will route just to that, uh, that area. So you get your uh, territorial, uh, um, uh, territorially storage that, that uh, the regulations require. Uh, but you could also do that by you know, customer. You could do it by product line. You could do it by functional graph. There, there's the metadata graph that I want over here. There's the you know, real-time recommendation graph. And, and I'm assuming this has a lot to do with the operational use. So that any, for any structure that you do, it'll if, you, if you have a target that you're, you're trying to optimize, it'll work better for that target. Right. But your worst enemy could come up with a query that'll make it really, that'll, make it, that'll be really difficult to yes. implement in yes. any optimized thing. Yes, yes, Got exactly. It. Got it. Now, um, when it comes to the idea of uh, security, um, uh, what is, is there anything different about security in the graph realm than in the rest of the, uh, um, the rest of the, you know, kind of database realm? Well, the, the, the fundamentals are always going to be kind of the same, right? When you install the product, change your admin password, for example, comma Mongo. Right, right. Right, and, and uh, so, but also support that capability of, you know, your administrators are secured up. And then build from exactly as you would expect, support different types of roles in the database. So some are admins, some are, are uh, schema editors, some are uh, right. you know, writable editors. Right, and these are, this is just basic security for anything. Right. Is and there anything different about the graph world that, uh, with respect the to The graph security? starts to care about things like an organizational hierarchy. And so then you, you can actually build a much easier, much more robust um, uh, you know, role and departmental kind of uh, permissioning and authentication or authorization capability so that uh, the HR staff can get at the, uh, the payroll system while uh, the, the sales organization can get at the Salesforce information. So partitioning the information into clusters. Into clusters as well as into matching that functional role of an individual or someone in the org chart with what their true uh, you know, uh, um, access rights ought to be across all these different multiple systems. So that identity graph or that identity and access graph is a very, very popular implementation of, uh, of Neo4j and is an example of one of those types of graphs that we're starting to see in enterprises uh, as, as they are becoming much more familiar. But in terms of like the actual in the database, the kind of security capabilities that a graph database has, is there anything unusual? From the user standpoint, I, I, don't th I don't think there's necessarily anything terribly unusual about it. Uh, I think there, from the user standpoint, it's just do what a good enterprise system is supposed to be doing. The, you know, then there, you get into other things like um, 
am I securing uh, the transmissions of information across different nodes in the cluster? Am I, uh, can, does my cluster support um, asset transactions? And then scale that whole concept of transaction integrity uh, from, you know, from a from within a, the, the core nodes of a cluster, then perhaps to another level of read replica kind of nodes in the cluster, and then maybe specialty nodes after that, right, that are uh, you know, broadly distributed. One might be for disaster recovery and just you know, and long-term persistence. Another might be for a localized, you know, cached section of the graph that is being used for analytics, right? The, and think about the, the, the world in uh, in that regard and look at it from a, how, do, how am I going to secure this whole thing up? Everything needs to, you know, communicate uh, securely. Everything needs to uh, support some form of uh, data in place uh, encryption or data in place security. Uh, and then uh, administratively, right, even all of your management tools need to be secured in the, in the same manner. So there's lots of those little... Right, right. Just, what and you then, would expect out of an enterprise product right, is, is really and, a lot of it. Exactly. Now, you guys argue strongly that graph native, meaning a graph database built to be a graph database, not a graph layer put on another database, is required to, to deliver an enterprise quality experience. Yeah. Why, why do you, why is, what's the foundation of your argument? Uh, the foundation of the argument is kind of twofold. One is don't break the relationship. Don't ever lose the relationship. So the, if you, and the challenge that you often have is if you're not thinking about the graph from the standpoint of how you might imagine it in your head, you conceive it, or to the point where you draw it out, and, and you know, graphs are of course really natural, very, very easy to put up on a whiteboard to represent exactly what you're trying to, uh, uh, trying to describe. But then go down another level, how do you code it? And, and is your query environment, is that graph you know, native graph also. So we use a, an ASCII art-like syntax when we write a query in Cipher, so you can see what a node is, what it's related to, how it, you know, what the what the uh, receiving node uh, uh, is. Then go down another level on how you actually compute all of that. So when I'm query, when when the query is actually executing, is it executing in a most optimized way? When you need to figure out, I'm dropping in on the node that is. Dan, and then it needs to find the relationship to Jeff, and how that uh, uh, and execute a query in, in, in milliseconds for uh, for that, but do it across millions of nodes. So, what is the role of like these concepts that you've implemented, like optimized graph storage clustering, you know, composite indexing, cost-based optimization? How do they work in the native database? Yeah, and so and, and then we get to the uh, after you uh, conceive, code, compute then it's store and persist at all. And when you're storing everything as a graph, you're remembering what the relationships are and actually your relationships are attached to every node that they are indeed connected to. Uh, so, and, and you have that all the way down to the, the storage level, all the way down to the, um, you know, how you end up keeping track of a node definition and a relationship is 32 bytes long always. And so when I need to uh, advance to the next relationship to find the next node, it's basically like chasing pointers and, so, and, and uh, pointer references inside the, uh, the database itself. So that at its essence is really what the nativeness is doing. And then let's reverse back off the stack and say, if I'm really truly building a, uh, an enterprise database, I want to be able to 
index everything so when it's when I have a billion nodes in the system, I can find the right nodes very, very quickly. One of the newer things that we continue to do here, and it's been a systematic exercise for the last two or three years, is to uh, remove some of the you know the worst bottlenecks that we include we, we uh, originally put had in the in, in the system where we were using a third-party indexing uh, an open source indexing uh, product and it's great for full text search but it's not good for defining uh, uh, property know, property indexes and Got such it. so we've been systematically removing and turning into what we call our own native index architecture for nodes and their labels and all the all of their properties and all the the relationships and then being able to build composite indexes or uh, uh, out of that from multiple properties so again things that a SQL environment has done for years and years and years is taking on the same principles of that but keep applying it to the graph and the gra you know, then the relationship notion or the connectedness notion of the graph is what always introduces some kind of weird new challenge for us. So the idea is just like you know the, the cost-based optimizer in something like Teradata is much more robust than, than the cost-based optimizer in you know maybe a, a newer project right. like Impala. You're, what you're saying is you've been at the cost-based optimizer Optimization for a long time. exercise over and over and over again. I think we've gone through um, three or four iterations of how our query optimization functions are going to uh, going to be operating. Uh, most recently, we changed and actually put our our query optimization. Uh, 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 APIs to to the core of the database, deeper into the database, so we you know, so we eke out even more uh, performance out of that. But now, uh, okay, the last thing I want to talk about about the product, and then I want to talk about the ecosystem, is the idea of um, uh, how you separate the capabilities that are in the enterprise version of your product and those that are in the open source. How much of what we've been talking about is all in the open source project and how much is, is do you have to pay for in the enterprise product? The easiest separation to remember is as soon as you get into clustering, that's the enterprise product. So the, the causal clustering mechanism, which has uh, writable core nodes and then read replica nodes are, uh, are built around that, that's an enterprise feature. The difference between the, com the community edition and the enterprise edition do fall into, is it clusterable? Uh, and and uh, so that you can scale both horizontally and, and vertically in, in your environment. Uh, does it have user-based security built into it? The community edition has the admin user, but all of these other uh, uh, roles that we, the, the, the native roles that we support uh, are part of the enterprise product. Much of the schema definition capability, the community user doesn't really care as much about uh, whether I can do all of these uh, schema-like functions because typically they're not really operating against uh, you know multiple uh, multiple enterprise you know data sources that they're drawing and, and trying to, to to build graphs from. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the, the, the easiest way to remember it is it's, it's the cluster, it's the user security, um, and then uh, uh, yeah, some of the, the schema-like uh, functionality. And, and then the, the final thing I wanted to talk about is that once you have the, it in place, and you have a good product running, and, 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 and it can do all the things you expect it to do, then you also want to be able to reach out and connect to other things. And you have a, a relatively large partner ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what are the kinds of things that, that you should be able to have in a mature graph 
database partner ecosystem? Yeah, the partner ecosystem is really interesting. You could have uh, development tools, right? So that that are that help blend the uh, the building of an application with the connection of that application to your graph environment. Uh, IntelliJ is one of those kinds of uh, kinds of products. You can have all kinds of uh, data visualization and graph visualization products like uh, Linkurious and Keylines and Tom Sawyer uh, uh, built built around that exercise. Linkurious, of course, is famous for their support of the ICIJ. We've talked about that in the past, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. They keep breaking Panama Papers like news over and over and over again simply by using Linkurious to follow the money around in data that is stored in Neo4j. And uh, you know, even two weeks ago, they came out with yet another release of, uh, of investigative results uh, out of that exercise. So you know, that, part, that part of the partner ecosystem is very important. We'd like to get into uh, data integration technologies, so in, in support of uh, uh, both open source as well as commercial style uh, data integration and ETL functions. One of the more interesting things we've just done, however, is uh, uh, we've gone and staffed our own uh, environment with uh, people who are intimately familiar with um, with data integration products. In fact, we uh, now have Matt Casters. He's the original author of Kettle, right? Uh, the Hitachi Data Systems and formerly Pentaho's data integration product. Uh, and he's now supplying that expertise in our professional services organization to help enterprises you know, get all the data that they want into Neo4j. And then the last one that you know, we can touch on is we're building out uh, relationships with the big data vendors, the Hadoop vendors, the uh, Spark data processing vendors, and all of that technology as well. So uh, yeah, make sure you get whatever data you have. You take advantage of the, uh, the existing environments that an, organ an enterprise has. I'm never going to be the first database into, you know, into anyone's uh, environment. So you know, use, what, you know, use what's there, help them have their graph epiphany very, very quickly, visualize it, integrate it well to, uh, to something else, um, and, then, uh, and then build out from, you know, give them the, the path to do clever things like work on artificial intelligence decisions that are built from graph information, knowledge graph, stuff like that. Excellent. This has been a really good talk, Jeff. Uh, I really think that uh, I've, I've uh, nailed down a little bit more detail about you know, what it really means to be enterprise ready in the graph world. So thank you very much. My pleasure.